Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. It's no secret that Kelly and I are in the midst of raising teens. We understand the challenges and triumphs that come with guiding teenagers through life. Today, we'll be exploring practical strategies, sharing personal stories, and tapping into expert advice to empower you in raising resilient teens who can not only weather the storms, but come out even stronger on the other side. We want this episode to be your go-to resource for parenting, not just surviving, but thriving in the teen years. So Today, we have experts Erin Campbell and Megan Engie. Both are licensed marriage and family therapists at Breathe Counseling Center based in Manhattan Beach, and both are founders of Raising Resilient Teens, which helps parents obtain actionable tools and skills to navigate teenage years. Just what we need, Jess. Yeah. So Erin and Megan, thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. So one of the things I think not to dive into this too quickly, one of the things that I did need to kind of settle the score on a little bit is Jesse and I both are domers. And we noticed that you guys are Trojans. (laughs) And so just air the dirty laundry. We forgive you. (laughs) We used to go to, back in the day, we used to go to the Notre Dame USC football game in California because we had family out there. This was like an annual thing. Yeah, Yeah, it was a, a big rivalry and it was always like so much fun for the tailgating there was a lot of back and forth with the fans it was always there was a lot of energy around those games so they were always a lot of fun yeah yeah I don't know if they still are I don't know if the rivalry is it kind of yeah. maybe ebbs and flows or maybe it still is I think it is but. I think so I think there's always just something between those two schools that are yeah I think it's always always there I haven't been to a game in forever but I have friends and different people that we know, and I think it's still going strong. And I, I have to admit, actually, I, so I did my, we did USC for grad school, but yeah. I went to UW-Madison, so I'm actually a Badger. So oh, oh. <laughs> which is still, we probably have a rivalry there, but yeah, I align myself more with, yes, yes. The best, one of the best college towns. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was so fun to go up there. I had a friend who, all of her friends went to Madison and we would go up there. Oh my gosh. Such a blast. That was, that's more fun than Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, <laughs> football was such a huge part of my life in my 20s, and I could care less about football at this time <laughs> of my life. Like, zero, zero interest. But I do have the programming when someone says USC or Trojan. I do have a little. It's, it's a little bit triggering. Like, if my daughter was like, that's my number one school, I might have to process through that for a second to explore what that was about. <laughs> That's so funny. Jess and I, both of us have boys that are 13 and then Jess has a 16 year old. So we're right kind of in the beginning of it. So we could use all the expertise we need. I think we realize we are at a point where our kids used to love us more and want to hang out with us. And now we transition to like, leave me alone. Don't want to talk about it kind of thing. So with that, Just wanted to talk through what advice you guys have. I mean, why do you think parents of teens need support? 
what you just said, it just it becomes different, right? Your kids mm-hmm. all of a sudden they go from wanting to hold your hand and kind of do everything with you and hang out with you on the weekends. And then from parents that we talk to, it sometimes happens in the blink of an eye that it's just overnight. It's different. And I think that change is positive because they're getting ready to eventually leave the house go off to college, get a job, whatever that might be for them after high school. So all of that is good. But I think parents sometimes struggle with that and struggle with the differences that they start to see in their kids. And they don't know how to always continue and navigate that relationship and keep it strong. There's a lot of different behaviors that arise in the teenage years. So I think it just becomes a whole different world to navigate. What made you guys decide to focus on teens? Yeah, so I think that it's a lot of our background and kind of Megan's a middle school counselor and a lot of my training was with teenagers. And I think that teens get a really bad rap, right? It's like when you're approaching the terrible twos or being a three-nager or something like that. Everyone's like, oh, just wait till they're teenagers, right? And it's in this negative light. And I think that teens are definitely challenging at times because it's such a transitional period. But it's also such a fun age and it's fun to see them become these mini adults and their personalities and what they're into. And so I think that we just started seeing a lot of the same issues arise and the same patterns and behaviors. And parents were asking us all the same questions. And so Megan and I were just always constantly having different conversations. And so we were like, if of our little microcosm is talking about this, I'm sure all teen parents and or preteen parents are having these same conversations. And so I think we wanted it to be not so negative of like, this really is a fun time. It Yes, it's, it is challenging, but it doesn't have to be as hard as sometimes we can make it out to, to be. What are some of those um, issues that you were seeing or still see over and over again? that parents are seeing and struggling with? One of my main ones that always come to mind is the battle with screens and technology and navigating that whole world. We also see the disconnect of maybe they're into new things or they want to hang out with their friends and parents are struggling with how do I set boundaries around that or how do we still do family time versus allow them to be out in the world and what's normal, what's okay type of thing. And Erin, I'm sure you see some similar things or maybe some different things. I think that it's just a tricky time navigating like social relationships. And I think we all we see the anxiety and kind of mood shifts and a lot of whether it's self-worth, self-esteem, anxiety, but I think also how to connect with your teen, right? What does this look like when they don't want to spend maybe as much time or we're all busy because they're in activities or different things. And so how do we create that intentional family time? And so it, it really is a lot of structure and boundaries and what's normal teen behavior versus are these things to be worried and concerned about? I think we get that question a lot is like, is this normal or should I be worried about this? And so I think just helping parents navigate what works well for their family and how do we focus on what they value or prioritize things. So I think we were seeing a lot of those conversations and a lot of just, I don't know what to do. And I feel like I'm doing everything wrong or making it worse, or uh, we're getting further and further apart. Like in our family, we're all just like our own rooms. And so how do we all come back together a little bit? 
I think that's a great segue. I actually just had coffee with my gal pals who we were talking about when we spend time with our teens. If sometimes we force it, like mm -hmm. you're going to sit down, we're all going to eat dinner together <laughs> and we're going to talk about our day. And they're like, oh, and then it's fine. And it's a lovely time. What are some tips in terms of fostering that connection? Because you get some resistance sometimes when you try to do that. Yeah, I would say, I would say expect the resistance. And I would say that's okay. Like you said, like as long as, as long as maybe you have that rule that like Sundays are family days or once a week we eat dinner at the table or whatever it is, whatever you're going to enforce. Teenagers naturally, they're going to push the limits. They're going to say, no, they don't want to. They're going to say, this is stupid. It is almost like a toddler, right? Where you want them to do something and they do the opposite or they scream or cry. But I would say just keep going. Don't just say, okay, yeah, we don't have to do dinner then. Or, or okay, yeah, you can go to your room. Or I would say just keep those things and keep keep inviting them, keep including them, keep having those family game nights or movie nights. And even if they roll their eyes, like I, I would say they still enjoy it. They still enjoy it. It's still good for them. It's good for the family. Yeah, and I would just say keep going with it. Yeah, and I think too... Outside of like, okay, if we value the Sunday dinner, or we're going to eat dinner every night that we're all home and our schedules line up or we're going to take this time. It's also how do we connect with them outside of those moments too? Mm -hmm. So throughout the week, how are we connecting? And I think a lot of it is just like meeting them where they're at, talk about their interests, get involved in like what they're into. And I think sometimes it just feels like, okay, it's going to turn into like a lecture. They're trying to pry or get information out versus, no, let's go and have fun and do something. I think activities are great. I think that when you're doing something, it's a little less like just like we're going to stare at each other and like talk about our days or whatever it is. And so I think it's being creative of trying to figure out and get into their world because then they're going to feel like, oh, they care about what I'm doing versus just like how with school. Because I think those are two very different kind of paths we can take. And so just getting really interested and wanting to really hear and learn about where they are and being curious about that. I think that makes the dinners or kind of that maybe forced time that's like whatever your family is valuing or creating. I think it makes that even if there is still resistance, it makes it less of like a chore to them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little one. He's nine. He still loves me. He still loves me. He, <laughs> he runs in the house and hugs me and loves me. Anyway, so my um, oldest daughter, I drive her for sports. And then my husband coaches um, my 13-year-old. So he's always with him. And so that's something I'm really feeling right now as he just turned 13. I'm with my daughter all the time because we have an hour drive to her practice two to three times a week. And so we're stuck in the car. And so we have, we have great rapport. I mean, she will be 16. I feel like she's on the other side of that. I feel like my 13 year old's just starting with the pushing and hormones and all the things he's going through. Um, and so um, I, I love those ideas because uh, I'm not in the car with him as much. And he's with his dad a lot. And I see him really aligning with his dad recently. And so it's like, okay, what are some opportunities? And, and I, I, was, I was watching a reel and I saw that he plays video games. And I was, I was watching a reel of a mom just going and sitting in the room they're playing and asking questions. And so I think that's going to be on my to-do list of showing interest uh, where there has not been any <laughs> trying to understand um, the various games he's playing. Yeah, I think that's so valuable. I actually, I just did this with a client because 
She is very into um, gaming and she's a seventh grader and uh, it's a world I know nothing about of the internet gaming. Like I, I could, I have no idea what she's talking about half the time, but I really was like, I want to sit with her and just hear. And I think that's something that the parents weren't doing. So I wanted to kind of see how that went for me and then be able to help the parents as well with some of the questions. And um, it, it was like hearing a foreign language, like of all the things that she was talking about. But I just sat with it and asked questions. And then I was able to, like I said, coach the parents to do the same because I think it did. I think it solidified our relationship in in a therapist world with the client. But I think that parents it's so important to do that because they are there. That's what they like and that's what they enjoy. And I think if, if you're a mom or dad and coming in and instead of just saying, okay, the game time is over or you have to come out of your room and eat dinner, like really just sit there with them and, and find out what they like about it, why they like it, what is fun to them about this thing that they're doing. And I think that will just, it just builds connection and it goes a really long way with them. I love that. I need to do that more. I go back and forth because they just get so all-consuming. Again, Pac-Man, Mario Brothers, we had three lives. Like <laughs> you do it and you get done and you get tired of it. And now it's just this perpetual, the psychology behind it, it's really tough to manage with kids these days. So that's great because I think sometimes I tend to shame them in some way, right? Like, oh God, you're always on your video games. It's all you care about, blah, 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 blah. And then I probably could do a better job of leaning in and understanding it. That's okay. I think you're going to have rules around it. And you might be like, you have to get off right now. Or you might feel frustrated in the moments of if they are in their room for hours or not engaging with the family. But I think it can be both, right? I think you can still feel that way or, or be frustrated. But also, once in a while, just join in and find out. I think it's really important to like find out why they why they love it so much. And even just asking my client, what is fun for you about this? And I think it was just really interesting to hear her responses. And I learned some things that I didn't know about her. And I think it's really, I think it's eye-opening. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we don't understand something, it's like, it is so foreign to us or just something we're not super into. Also, there's a lot of fear, I think, around like screens and yeah. video games and how much time we're all spending on it, right? But especially kind of teenagers who are getting sucked into that a little bit. I think it's how do we balance some of our fear and some anxiety around it while also this is important for them. This is their time to disconnect. Just like we might watch trashy TV or just like do something, right? This might mm -hmm. be their time to connect or connect with friends if they're playing, you know, mm -hmm. friends. And so I think as long as you have, yeah, the structure around it and those like boundaries and rules, I think it allows a little bit more of like, okay, let me be curious about this. I still might not love it or understand it or agree with maybe how much time it is. And I think curiosity allows for just that understanding and meeting them where they're at. And that's really what teens want. They want to know like, oh, my parents are interested in this. They're asking questions about my life and they're engaging. And teens like to talk about themselves. <laughs> they are in that world of like, they do want to share things. I think they just want that opportunity to be able to do it. Along those lines about phones, teen comes home from the moment they walk in the door, they're on their phone. They're just constantly watching content mm -hmm. and then jumping onto a video game or watching tv and just like never their choice right now would be to never be in a dark quiet room <laughs> is that okay how does as a parent 
like we were joking when our kids were little, it would be like, oh my God, they touched the phone. Oh my God, they're on their screen. Oh my gosh, they're like going to be ruined. Like, do not let them touch that. They let grandma would have them. And all of a sudden they're like, all over the phone because the data yeah when my daughter was a baby the data was like don't let them see a screen under the age of two Mm -hmm. i remember when she like turned to look at the television i thought her brain was ruined i know i'm exaggerating (laughs) right but like they it was the the data was like no screens ever right and so it's funny to see the evolution of where we are my youngest is is a different generation than my oldest Mm -hmm. and so totally different rules and stuff but yeah um just kind of following up with with Kelly's question. Yeah, we were just we just actually were meeting with some of our therapist friends, too. And we had this conversation and one of the moms was saying that at her son's soccer games, you can tell there's like the groups that are all surrounded by a screen and, and looking down and watching whatever. And then there's maybe the the few of them that have more rules or that aren't allowed to have that phone or that screen. And they're they are they're running around or playing or, or they might be joining the group and watching the screen, but they're balancing both. All the teens that I've worked with, and I'm sure Aaron would agree, they will tell you that they are on their phones too much. They they will say, or they'll they'll even say they're like, I know I waste time, or my mom took my phone for a week. It sucked, but it was also okay. I think they get to that place and they'll be the first to tell you that they'll say they're addicted or they'll use that language. And so I think as a parent, I think especially with the early teens, it's easier with like the early, earlier teens than as they get older. But managing, like, instead of thinking about the time that they're on their phones, I like to always think about the time that they're off. So maybe that is implementing, like, no screen dinners or, but it's also modeling, too, as parents, because Mm -hmm. I find myself on my phone or we are checking things or constantly um, texting or looking up things on our phone. So I think it's also as a family to just create that system of we're all going to put our phones away or these are the times where we're not on our phones or we're going to go outside and do x y and z instead of being in front of a screen for a little bit and just taking those natural breaks yeah and i think it depends too with every family right because i see the spectrum in my practice there are the ones who yes they have a really hard time putting that phone down and it might be getting in the way of their schoolwork or connecting with the family or whatever it may be. And those kids, they might need a little bit more structure where you get to be on it for 30 minutes after school while you have a snack, but then it's going to go away until you're done with homework. And then maybe you get a little bit of time, but we're going to then turn it off at a certain time. I do think that having rules around where you're using your phones is really important. And like how much time are we locked in our room with all all these access to screens around bedtime, in the morning, all of these things, because they do become distractions. I'm guilty of it too. And so I think it's really thinking about is that they can't make those decisions. They are going to pick the more fun thing in that moment. And then there's other kids who maybe aren't as active on social media or they're not, they don't have access to certain things. And so maybe they can kind of police themselves and monitor Mm -hmm. it a little bit more. But I do think it's also checking in. One question I always ask my clients is, how do you feel when you get off of something? And do you feel positive when you get off of social media? Do you feel negative? Do you feel like, oh, I want to go back and look more? Because I think it tells a lot when you're feeling like, how are we interacting with this tool? And a lot of times it will be, I feel worse because I've just spent an hour comparing myself or looking at this filtered life or whatever it is. And so 
think if you can have that kind of ongoing dialogue while also saying, like, this is how I feel sometimes when I use it. And this is what comes up for me. And at least sometimes they might roll their eyes or be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're at least hearing this ongoing conversation around it versus all screens are bad all the time because then they're just going to shut off to that. And so I think if it can just be more of like the conversation that's throughout the day and throughout the week, it makes it a little bit more approachable. Mm-hmm. I would also say, I think the if you can like, because it is the screens are, they're here, right? They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's part of their life. And, and really it is a different world. It's part of their social life. I have a lot of parents talk to me about that. It's like, we want, we want to take the phone away or they're in trouble. So we took everything away, but now they like, we also want them to be social and we, and like, they have no access to their friends now. So it's that balance too. It is, it's like navigating this new age of like, that's how they connect with their peers. One thing, because I, I've worked in a middle school for 10 years and just seeing that kind of population of 11, 12, 13, I will say the advice I usually give parents of that, like the younger teens coming into the teenage years is really, if you can slowly give them access, I always find that's usually the best. And again, everyone is a little bit different, but I know parents now sometimes are starting out with maybe just like an Apple Watch. And then eventually when they're older, they get the iPhone or they start out with a phone that doesn't have any apps or they get the phone, but no social media until they turn a certain age. And I think I think like scaffolding it and giving them things like slowly at a time what as their brain develops, because there's been a ton of research on that, too, of just what teens can handle and especially preteens and um, preteen girls, too, with like the all the social media things. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of different effects of that as the years go on. So I would that's kind of my big advice to parents is like, if you can kind of slowly introduce it and make sure that they can handle it, make sure they know the responsibility of having certain things. I think that that's always really positive. And we do have the ability to control a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. I go back and forth with my 13-year-old on limiting the time, mm-hmm. being really strict with the time, and then he gets frustrated and asks for more. And I, we have talk about his ability to monitor and regulate. And so I'll say, I'm seeing that you're not regulating your time there. And so when you can show you can regulate it, then we'll restructure it. So I go back and forth from like five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, no time. So that is nice. We ha- There are apps and parental controls and things like that that we can play with to see. I mean, I had a friend and they noticed a huge difference and her daughter agreed with anxiety and starting to feel depressed <laughs> with TikTok. Mm-hmm. And they both talked about it and agreed and they took TikTok off her phone. And she was like, you're right. I don't feel good. This is messing mm-hmm. me up. So I also think it's those monitoring, watching and having conversations with your why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just and just knowing as a parent that when you do allow that or they have those apps, like they have access to it's access. They have access to a lot of things. Then what I've seen, too, is just this the difference in things that they like to do or know or like the TikTok videos that they are watching and they're. Like these 10-year-olds are watching these certain videos. And I, I don't know if it matches. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily age appropriate mm-hmm. or like you said, it causes, like it starts, you start to see it cause like stress, anxiety, depression, a lot of comparisons. And I think, I think just knowing too, that their little brains are still like 10-year-old brains. What should they be watching or what should they be having access to? And I think that's just a really important question. And, and it comes back to values. What do you value as a family? And what kind of things do you want to align yourself with as a family? And then implementing those rules or boundaries. My concerns recently are the filters. And so I've been talking with my daughter and really 
she consumes content for crafting and recipes. And we talk about what she's watching. But recently, creators that I follow that are very empowering female content, the creators are using filters. Mm-hmm. And and so I was having a talk with her about it. I've had some people really that I'm following show how you can change your body shape. Mm-hmm. So my daughter was showing me, she was like, she was wanting to show me this girl and she said, oh, she's, she was showing me that she was canceled and why she was canceled. But she said, oh, she's so beautiful. And her, the body that she was showing me was not a real body. And so mm-hmm. I was showing her, look at these apps, these people I'm following, look, they're side by side. And I was like, you never know how they really look. And so I worry about the impressions of beauty standards that it's putting on her brain. And like we're saying, yeah, okay, you can take the phone away and take everything away. Okay. But I'm trying to, for her, just have the conversations and say, Mm -hmm. look, with AI and stuff that's coming out, we don't know what we're really seeing. So let's just be real there on those beauty standards that are being put out there. Yeah, those are amazing. I'm glad you're having those conversations. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, and to, and keep going with those because it is, it's going to be different phases of life too. She's going to have different thoughts and things that come up and things that she sees. And I think that's, yeah, those conversations are really helpful. It's a very impulsive time, wanting to do this, wanting to do that, and really not stopping to kind of think. How do we, like, I notice sometimes when that he'll be gaming and then he's getting really upset and he's yelling and he's frustrated. And it's like, are you really having fun? Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. How would I be able to communicate that with him to think through how he can learn to kind of like that mind body connection to be able to regulate? Yeah. Is that possible? I think it's possible. I think it's a slow process. And I think it's one that as he gets older, he'll get better and better at that. But I think definitely some of the framework and just checking in around that can start now. I think best bet is definitely do it out of the moment, right? Okay. I think in the moment, especially if they're dysregulated, they're not really hearing and processing anything anyways. And so I think out of the moment, it's more of like, hey, I noticed when you were playing games yesterday, you were getting like really upset or really angry or yeah, just like frustrating, kind of naming that emotion. And he might disagree and say, no, 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 it's fun. And I said, you can say, okay, yeah, it can be fun. And maybe it can be a little frustrating or and you're getting upset. So I think sometimes even just naming what you're seeing can be helpful because also teenagers, some are better than others, but sometimes they don't know they're feeling a lot of things. Right. And so I think just helping them slow it down a little bit, even giving examples too from your kind of life of like, oh, I really love doing this and I get really frustrated when X, Y, and Z happens. And then I think the next step is, especially if he's receptive to that, it's then paying attention to those early warning signs. I don't if he's like cursing or if he threw the little gaming remote or I don't know what kids are doing or what they're even playing on, but they're just like, we're seeing some things change. How does he then kind of take a like a mental break of like, oh, this doesn't feel good to me. So maybe I do need to pause, even if it's just for a couple minutes. But I think those preventative like early warning signs, that's that's what I think Megan and I try to get like anyone who has anxiety or even depression or anything like that. We're trying to get them to connect a little bit of like there's stuff going on in our body before even the behavior. And we like know what we're feeling. So being able to have that conversation of like, oh, I if I'm 
worried about something or anxious, like my heart might start racing or my cheeks might get flushed or something like that. It's starting to get him to pay attention to some of those warning signs before we get to kind of any of the dysregulation. Okay. I love that. It's taken me 40 years to figure this (laughs) out. Um, Yeah, I think we're still learning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard. And I think it's just this ongoing awareness and checking in with ourselves and that we're not going to get it right every time. But at least I think if we can be a little bit more mindful around what's happening, we can hopefully kind of make some of those better decisions. Because even if he is having fun, it still is. I mean, most of us don't love feeling frustrated or upset by something, but it's I think it's also how do we move through that, too, in an effective way versus like, oh, I'm frustrated. I need to quit and like almost like avoidance. So I think there's that balance, too, of like, okay, I'm feeling frustrated. But if I take a break, then I can go back to something versus, oh, like zero frustration tolerance. And then I'm just going on to the next thing. I think some kids might be also scared that if they show like that in this example with the gaming, like if they show frustration or anger, if they throw the the controller, if they scream or swear or whatever, like mom or dad are going to be like, okay, that's it, it enough, like enough gaming or you're like, we were done. And I think you might have to do that. But I also think letting them know, okay, we don't necessarily need to take anything away, but it's more about like, how are you feeling in this moment? Do you need a, like Aaron said, do you need a five minute break, a 10 minute break? Do we just need to pause and come back to it? And it doesn't maybe necessarily, and it's okay that you're feeling frustrated, but if that's part of the game, let's acknowledge that. And we don't need to hide it either. When we can just be open about what that's making us feel like so that we all, yeah, are on the same page or that we're not covering it up, I guess. And when we look at shifting to a little bit older teens, what I'm finding are peers really struggling with is giving their children autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. And I I don't know why right now I have so much empathy toward that. Kelly and I are from uh, rural Kansas, so we were driving at 14. And so I had autonomy. I did whatever the heck. I mean, we had expectations and we had to do all these things our parents expect us to do. But like, I drove myself to and from school and drove myself to see my friends and did whatever the heck I wanted. And being in the suburbs, I'm aware of that frustration of my daughter wanting to make plans and do things, not having a way to get there, Um, even though I'm really tired and don't want to drive anybody anywhere. (laughs) I'm trying to respect like, wow, she's trying to be her own person and she wants to go do all of these things. But I find, again, a lot of my friends struggling with thinking it's a bad thing that their kids want to go and go and do things and are trying to make plans. And like they're ungrateful or why are they making plans or don't they know I need to drive? And there's that headbutting there. It's so interesting. I will say like you just said something that activated something in me that I hear so much of, oh, my teen is so ungrateful or don't they know how much I do for them or all these things. Your teen, It's not your job, your teenager, teenager's job to think about all those things. They are thinking about just themselves. It's like developmentally <laughs> the time where they should be the most selfish and like self-absorbed. And so I think just normalizing that, they're just thinking about how much fun they're going to have when they get to the person's house or what activity is coming next. And so I think sometimes it's how do we not personalize everything that's mm. coming towards us and that we're receiving from our teenager. And of course, that's a tricky thing to do because it doesn't feel good sometimes when we feel like 
they're not appreciating or they're not seeing these things or like, I am exhausted and I don't want to do those things. And But I think it's anytime something is coming up for you and you're feeling triggered or activated by something, I think if you can pause and just be curious about that, I think that's where then you feel more empathetic and understanding where they're coming from. And it makes a lot of those transactions a little bit more manageable, I think. It's like this push and pull that we kind of talked about at the beginning of our jobs as parents are to raise independent, autonomous beings, right? Like that is what our main job is, is so that they can go out into the world and be successful. And it's interesting. I think it's starting later and later now where we, I see a ton of 16-year-olds. It used to be like for when we were in high school, like the day you turned 16, you were getting your license, right? And now I have 17, 18-year-olds that aren't driving, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's definitely switched where a lot of these like milestones and things we do to be independent. I don't know if it's more coming from family or just like, I don't know what's going on in the world, but a lot more just anxiety around that of and fear around it's almost like that failure to launch. It's just so interesting of what is causing and contributing to that. I love that the the of of a parent tapping into themselves and saying, "Hey, this is bothering me." Taking a second to kind of say, "What the heck's that about?" Yeah, I think I think a lot of our own fears or our own projections or what is it bubbling up inside of us. I think if we can tap into that, it will really tell you a lot about like your interactions with with your kids and. A lot of it is just our own stuff that's coming out. And I think if we can really deal with that, I mean, Megan and I talk about this all the time. Like so many of the kids we're seeing, we're like, their parents 100% need to be in therapy or their parents are yeah, but- <laughs> being part of like these conversations. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, there's stuff going on with the kid, but there's so much that's happening at like the level of the parenting and just the family dynamic that if we don't talk and shift that, we're just sending that kid back into the same environment and expecting different results. And so it really is, I think, one of the things we really try to do with these parents is really have them tap into their own stuff. And I think once you start doing your own work and start really looking at what's coming up for you, it really does change how we view our relationship with our kids. What about just pressures that teens have right now? I was just talking to a friend whose daughter is going to be a senior next year in high school. And she was talking about her daughter has a high GPA, but like it wasn't enough. It kind of wasn't as amazing as they thought it was because it's so competitive and so crazy. What are you hearing from teens about like academic pressures or performance pressures? Because things just everything seems competitive now. I yeah and I think and I guess I always wonder too because because I grew up in the Midwest and now I'm in Southern California and it just in Southern California and maybe maybe it's like this everywhere but it just yeah it feels very fast paced and it feels very like a lot of competitiveness whether that's school sports like mm-hmm. so many kids are in club sports at like 10 years old and it just feels like it starts at a young age and it just continues through high school And in the California system, too, just being like with the school that is, it's really like these students have 3.8, 3.9 GPAs, but they're not getting accepted to their, the colleges like UCLA or wherever that they want to go to. But I think some of it is, I don't know, I've I've seen both. I've seen both sides where it's internal for the teen. It's on the teen and the parents are like, 
we're open. They just want them to try hard. We don't care what grades they get, but the individual themselves is pressure on themselves. Or I've seen the opposite where it's, it's a little bit of both. There's like a little bit of family systems where the parents have high expectations and that trickles down to the to the teenager and, and, and things like that. But it's hard to say where it comes from. I, I don't know if it, again, it's access to information. It's just like the world we now live in. It can be really, really tough and it's just different than the way we grew up. And I think acknowledging that too, as a parent and even sharing that with your kid of like that they are in this different situation, right? And we may not fully understand it, but we can empathize with them and help them navigate that that own world. And okay, if they don't get into their first college or if they don't get into what they want to do, like what's the, what's the other plan? And it still, it still means they're smart. It still means they're capable. It still means they have so much going on for them. But it's, it's really helping, I guess, navigate failure at the end of the day. Mm. It's like, even though it's not failure at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the college stuff is like so wild. And Megan knows this. I have like a very interesting relationship with just school in general. And I really just push back on it a lot because I was that student that like really did not care about school, did not love high school, did not enjoy it. I went to community college and then transferred. And especially the area that we're in, sometimes when I tell parents that I went to community college, like it's like they're kind of shocked, right? Because it's such a different... There's a stigma. Mm -hmm. A stigma. And in the area that we live in, it's a pretty affluent area. And it's so competitive. And a lot of it, I think, is within the schools themselves. I think with like in the institution of it, of like, just really high expectations. And like Megan said, I think some of it's parental pressure, some of it's this internal pressure. But I think one of the things I see a lot, and I think this is where parents can help navigate this, is having your self-worth or identity not be attached to outcomes, right? And not being attached to, yeah, whether it's the grade you're getting or the class that you're in, because it, it becomes so much of like your self-worth. And then when you don't get into that school or you don't get a, an A plus on something, these kids that I'm saying, it's like they're it's like sh earth shattering. Right. And yes, we know, like with teenagers, everything is very big because it's their whole world. But I think it's I think that's a really dangerous thing to do is to really attach self-worth and these external things to self-worth and who you are as a person. And so really working with just the effort that's being put into it mm -hmm. versus these outcome-based things. I think that's a conversation I have a lot with parents of, of just how to navigate that because you can do all the right things and check all the boxes. And this is what I, we saw like over the last couple of years with all of our seniors, like on paper, they look, it's like all perfect, right? But then they're also not having the skills to deal with that rejection or... Yeah, just like their path looking a little bit different. And that's that like resilience piece, right? Is like they weren't having the skills to be able to kind of move through that and almost like expecting like, oh, I did all the right things. So I should be rewarded for that, right? And having a really hard time just navigating that of like, oh, so what was the point? Why did I try so hard and basically kill myself over schoolwork for the last X amount of time? And so a lot of devastation and intertwined thoughts and feelings around school that I try to push back a little bit of. It's not the end all be all of like where you go or how you get there. There's so many different paths and we don't have to put so much pressure where you don't enjoy 
school or you don't enjoy the process because you're so anxious and or depressed in certain areas if you aren't getting the grade or you're sleep deprived or whatever it may be, right? And so think if we can have those conversations as early as we can with kids around that, I think it's setting them up to hopefully have a healthy relationship with school. I love that. Can you guys talk about you starting Raising Resilient Teens in terms of the Instagram? Because I would love for our listeners to follow you guys because I love all of your advice. It seems very relevant, especially to the season that Jess and I are in. Yeah, a few things happened. Like, number one, we were seeing just a lot of like toddler and like little kid accounts. And when we were searching on Instagram at the time we started, um, there wasn't a lot of information out there for like teenagers and that population. And then like Erin and I, we work really well together. We're friends outside of being at the same private practice. And so I think it was just perfect timing for us of, like she said earlier, when we would talk about clients or talk about issues we were having or seeing, it was very similar. Oh, okay. So if this is happening, just even in our private practices, there has to be people in the Midwest, on the East Coast, in the South of like parents having the same things. Like these are universal kind of issues, problems, questions. We're all themes. We're all seeing. We're all talking about. And then in Instagram and the day of um, technology, it just feels like that was the easiest platform to get our information out and and hit as many people as as we could with some free and tangible advice, tips, building a a community. That feeling of that sense of other people are going through this was important for us. And I think a lot of things that kind of came out of the pandemic, right? We had a lot more time and we were home. And so we were able to focus on other things than just private practice and work as a whole. And I think it was an outlet as much for us as for other people of resources. But I think not everyone can go to therapy or has the time or access to that. And so this was a way, yeah, to get some of those like short tips and strategies out and do this, don't do this. And here's what we've seen that works and here's what doesn't work. And I think it's been really cool to see we've gotten, we get like lots of people writing in and asking us questions and wanting to know certain things. And so I think it's been fun to use our brain just in a different way. That's a little more kind of in this coaching world almost where it's not just the traditional therapy. And so I think that's been neat for us to, to, yeah, be able to reach a wider audience and be able to have some of these meaningful conversations that we wouldn't otherwise have with people. I love it. And I feel like I have a goldfish memory sometimes with parenting tips. So I could just read through all of your posts like once a month, just every single one or something to be like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Oh yeah, I need to do that. It's really valuable. What other, just in closing, what other tips or resources would you have for parents raising teens? Books, podcasts, blogs, what other resources have you found to be insightful, if any? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I think Megan and I are both moms to young kids, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what we're consuming, I think can be helpful all, you know, around and across the board. But there is a great book that I recommend to a lot of my parents called The Scaffolding Effect. I think that's what it's called. I talk a lot about with a lot of my clients raising those independent, autonomous human beings. I also read Generation Sleepless, which hmm. it was a really good one around just like sleep and the importance for teens and just how that's tied to everything, mood and, and physical and mental health. 
Raising Good Humans podcast, Dr. Eliza. She's fantastic. She has a new book also, The Five Principles of Parenting. And that's a really awesome one for all age kids. But I think she does focus a little bit more on that relationship with the older teens. So those are, I would say, are some good starting places for people with preteens and teens. Awesome. Well, thank you ladies so much for joining us. This was really an awesome conversation. Yes, thank you for having us. It was really fun. We love to talk about this stuff. We could probably talk for hours. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at ChasingBrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.